All right, well, again, my name is Brandon. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at River City. It is good to be with you. I just want to say, if you are new or visiting, just want to say welcome to you. If there's anything that we can do to help you get connected to the community here at River City, we would love to be able to do that. Come find me or Aaron, who was giving announcements, or one of the people you saw on the slides as a small group leader. We'd love to help you. We'd love to just get to know you, but we'd love to help you get connected to the community here at River City. So come find one of us if, if that's something that you're interested in. Um, so this year, uh, together on Sunday mornings, we have been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. And so in connection with Easter, we kind of jumped ahead to the, to the very end of Matthew the last couple of weeks. So I, kinda, I suppose we kind of spoiled that end game for you if, if you didn't know where that was headed. I will do my best to serve you guys this morning by not spoiling the real end game this morning. But I will say it was fantastic. <laughs> and if you haven't seen it, there's a very limited amount of time in which I'm not going to talk to you about it. So get on it, Okay. Well, I'll do my best this morning not to spoil that for you. So, uh, but as promised, we are jumping back into the middle section of the book of Matthew together. And uh, this morning, and actually for the next few weeks, we're going to be studying uh, Matthew chapter 13. Uh, in, Matthew, in Matthew 13, what we see is a, it's the third of five kind of extended sections of Jesus' teaching in the book of Matthew that Matthew records for us. And, and this section, Matthew chapter 13, is referred to as the parables of the kingdom. Before we dive into Matthew 13 and the parables of the kingdom, I just want to do a quick flyover of what's been happening the past few chapters, because we, we kind of, like I said, we jumped again to the head to the end of Matthew for the past few weeks, so I want to just give us a brief overview. So again, the whole theme of the book of Matthew, the, the whole purpose of Matthew's gospel is he's, he's trying to explain and articulate and proclaim, uh, he's talking about the king and the kingdom, that Jesus is the messianic king, and he has come to bring about his kingdom. And so throughout the Sermon on the Mount, that was in chapters 5 through 7, Jesus speaks with a kingly authority. Over and over and over again, what we heard Jesus saying is, you've heard it said, but I tell you. You see, Jesus isn't just a messenger for some other king. He's not just a representative of God. Jesus is God. He is the true king, and his word has final authority. Then in chapters 8 and 9, we saw how Jesus not only spoke with authority, but he, he acts with authority. Jesus demonstrates his authority over sickness and over nature and over sin and even over death. And we saw over and over the goodness of the authoritative word and work of Jesus. And so wherever his kingly rule and reign is brought to bear, there is life and there is blessing and there is joy. And then as we wrapped up chapter 9 and headed into chapter 10, we saw that King Jesus isn't just a king who speaks with authority and acts with authority. He's, he's a king who commissions his disciples to be sent out with his authority. And then we saw in chapter 10 how he sent them to declare the good news about his coming and to demonstrate the goodness of his kingly rule and reign being brought to bear in people's lives just as he did. And he promised that just like he had, they too would experience rejection and they would experience opposition and so finally, in chapters 11 and 12, Matthew gives us a bunch of little vignettes, and he's showing us how this increasingly deep divide in the way that people are responding to Jesus and his message. You see, Jesus has been going around, he's been teaching, and he's been preaching, and he's been healing, and he's been doing miracles, and all these kinds of things, and yet, and yet people are still rejecting him. You see, some people, they, they humbly doubt, like John the Baptist. Others, they joyfully accept Jesus like the disciples. And some pridefully and arrogantly reject Jesus. And it all leads to the middle of chapter 12, in verse 14, and we see the religious leaders, they start plotting how to kill Jesus. And so there is increasingly this gulf. 
These two sides of the same ravine in which some people are choosing to receive Jesus and to respond to him, and others, in spite of everything they see and all that he has done, still choose to have, still choose absolutely to reject him. And all this leads us to chapter 13, where Matthew records for us Jesus' teaching. And he's teaching here both to the crowds at large, but also to the disciples in private. And we'll see that change throughout chapter 13 as we study the next couple of weeks. And the kingdom of God is the thing that he is talking about. It's something he's talked about often, but this time, you see, things are different. You see, in the past, as everything we've read so far, Jesus, he speaks very straightforwardly. But now he's going to begin to speak in parables. And I don't know you about you, but I wouldn't describe any of Jesus' teaching as just like easy reading, right? Like it's kind of this kind of stuff you're like, okay, like this is good. Like, and I can understand, but I need, like, I need to pay attention for this. And then when you get to the parables, it feels like that kind of dialed up a notch, right? It's like you're playing Halo and you're on heroic mode and you're like, this is, okay, I got to focus, right? This is a challenge, right? And then you switch over to legendary mode. Right? And you're like, I'm not sure I'm playing the same game. Like, this is way, way harder, right? And sometimes parables feel like that. They feel just, re- they just are challenging to understand. They, they can be confusing. And you're like, what is happening? I thought I got this. See, the truth is that parables are challenging. They, they can be hard to understand. They can be confusing. They weren't easy for the people of Jesus' day to understand, even for the disciples. And the same is true of us today. And so this morning, as we, as we dive in, spend the next few weeks studying Matthew chapter 13 and the parables of the kingdom, what I, what I want to do this morning is instead of just diving into some of these parables, what I want to do is take a look at a few verses this morning near the beginning of the chapter in which Jesus gives us a framework. He gives the disciples some framework for understanding the parables. It's a framework that sets the stage for the whole chapter And in doing that, what I want to do is lay some groundwork that's going to help us over the course of the next few weeks as we study the parables of the kingdom. And so, uh, in light of that, let's pray, and we'll dive into God's word this morning. Trust that he'll be speaking to us through it. So, let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful for your word. God, we are thankful that you would keep it for us so that we might know you, and we might know who you are and what you're like, that we might have your teaching kept for us. And so, God, we're grateful for that. But we come this morning, God, and what we want to acknowledge from the very beginning is that we need you. God, I need you to fill me with your spirit so that, so that I might be able to teach and preach rightly. God, we need you to give us soft and moldable hearts so that we might be able to hear and respond and understand your word rightly. God, we, we don't have what we need outside of you. And so, God, we ask that you would graciously meet us in our need for you as we study your word. And God, and that it would result in our great joy and our good, but ultimately in us, in our love for you and our worship for you, which brings you glory. And so, God, we just say as we come this morning, we need you. And God, we are so grateful that you promised to meet us in our need for you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. This morning, we're in Matthew chapter 13. Uh, I'm going to begin verses 1 through 3, and we're going to skip ahead just a little bit, and Ryan's going to cover those verses next week. So, uh, Matthew 13 begins this way. It says, On the same day, Jesus went out of the house, and he sat by a lake. And such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat, and he sat in, and while all the people stood on the shore, and he told them many things in parables. Verse 10 goes on, The disciples came to him, and they, and they asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? And he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. 
And whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, what they will have will be taken from them. That's why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see, and though hearing, they do not understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, that you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. And you will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused, and they hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are you, are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. The word of the Lord. And so this morning, uh, as we study, we're going to try to keep things short and sweet this morning, like the parables are short and sweet. We're going to try to keep things short and sweet. And and what I want to do is I just want to ask three questions, three questions that we need to answer in order for us to to study the parables of the kingdom. Three things that we need to kind of wrap our heads around before we dive in these coming weeks. And three questions are this. Number one, what are parables? Number two, what is the kingdom that these parables are all about? And number three, what's the key to understanding What is the key to understanding the parables of the kingdom? So simply this, let's begin. So what are parables, right? At the beginning of the chapter, Jesus gets into a boat. He starts teaching in parables. In verse 10, the disciples come to him and they say, why are you teaching in parables? We've got to understand what are parables. And just to put it simply, a, a parable is a story that draws comparisons to everyday life in order to illustrate or teach a spiritual truth. Again, a parable, it's a, it's a story that draws comparisons to everyday life in order to illustrate or teach a spiritual truth. One pastor puts it this way, parables are earthly stories with heavenly meaning. They're everyday analogies that help people understand profound spiritual truths. See, every pastor knows the importance of a good illustration, hence my amazingly great halo illustration in the introduction. That really connected with everyone for sure, right? Uh, Maybe that helped you think about where we're headed in a new way, or it helped you grasp what was going on there. Maybe you have no idea what I was talking about, and it really wasn't that good of an illustration, right? And you understand the need for good ones, because that wasn't, right? Here we go. Every pastor, they, we understand the, the importance of a good story, a good example, or a good illustration, because they help people understand more clearly, or connect spiritual truths to their lives in a different way, but, but sometimes it just helps people think about something from an, an entirely new perspective, in a way that we haven't seen before. But you need to understand this, right? A parable is more than just a story or an illustration. Right? This is important to see. A parable is more than just a story or an illustration. Parables also convey a sense of mystery. See, because the nature of a parable is that its meaning is not carried on the surface. You have to dig a little bit deeper. They need to be interpreted And so the challenge then is to penetrate through that to the truth of its meaning, to to see what it really is about. You see, parables, they're designed to make the listener think deeply. And that truth, the truth is, is that sometimes the reason why parables are confusing is because we don't want to think deeply about it. We don't don't want to spend the energy to think deeply about Jesus' words. Today, people barely want to read anything that's more than 140 characters long. You see, the truth is we just, sometimes we just don't want to figure it out. And so parables, by nature, they're meant to challenge the listener, not just to hear, but to listen. You see, hearing and listening, there are two different things. If you're a parent, you know what this means, right? You call your kids, hey, 
it's dinner time. Come to the table, and you know they hear you. But they are not listening. Those, those sound waves are like just going in one ear and just magically just not actually being heard. Right? They, they, hear the, they hear the wah-wahs, right? but they don't actually listen and respond sometimes. And the truth is that that's, this is not true for our kids, you see. We also hear all kinds of words throughout the day, every day, whether that's background voices on the radio or voices of our colleagues in the cubicle that's next to you or kids playing on the playground or whatever it is. You see, we all hear all kinds of words, but we don't always listen to what is being said. You see, there is a difference between hearing and listening. You see, the truth is, is that we hear all kinds of words, but we don't always listen because what we believe is that they don't matter. And sometimes that's true. Unfortunately, there are, there are all kinds of people who hear Jesus' words, and the reason why they do not listen, the reason why they might hear but not let it come in, is because they mistakenly believe that these words do not, will not make a difference in their lives. And sometimes the truth is that that's what we think as well. You see, but the truth is, is that Jesus' words are the most important words that we can ever spend time not just hearing, but listening to. And so the parables are an invitation for us to press in. They're an invitation for us to think deeply. They're an invitation for us not to just allow Jesus' words to, to float past us, but to ask them and to resonate with them and to meditate on them so that they might sink into our hearts. You see, in the truth of Jesus' parables is that, is that they, they aren't just ordinary words. They're Jesus' words, and they aren't just normal parables of wisdom. In fact, Jesus refers to them as the mysteries of the kingdom. And that leads us to the second question this morning. What is the kingdom that these parables are intending to teach us about as we study these next few weeks? Throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus talks over and over and over again about the kingdom. In Matthew 4, 17, he, he says, he's claiming, he's calling out to the people, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And in Matthew chapter 4 and again in chapter 9, Matthew tells us that Jesus goes around, he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Throughout all of Matthew chapter 5 and 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is articulating, he is describing, he is, he is proclaiming what life looks like in his kingdom. In, in chapter 10, verse 7, Jesus instructs his disciples to go and proclaim that the kingdom of heaven isn't far away. It isn't something that is coming. It's something that has come near. It's something that is here. And so the question is, what is the kingdom that Jesus keeps talking about? See, Matthew, from the very beginning, has presented Jesus as the long-awaited messianic king, the descendant of King David that God promised in 2 Samuel chapter 7, who would come to establish his everlasting kingdom, a kingdom in which all things would be set right, in which all things would be restored into the way in which they should and be. And the kingdom that Jesus is talking about is this kingdom. And what defines Jesus' kingdom, what defines the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is always referring to is the redemptive rule and reign of God that is being made known in him. You see, the kingdom of God is characterized by, it is defined by the redemptive rule and reign of God that is made known in the person and the work of Jesus. David Platt, another pastor, he puts it this way. He says, the fundamental idea is the rule or reign, because when we talk about the kingdom, what we are talking about is the authority and the sovereignty of a God who is king. And this phrase is used to describe how God is asserting his authority in the redemption, in the redeeming work of sinners and of all things through Christ, just as he promised the Messiah would do. 
In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus paints this picture for us of what it looks like when the redemptive rule and reign of God invades our lives and our communities. And it results in, in people's actions and attitudes that look radically different than the world around them. In chapters 8 and 9, we saw Jesus bringing his kingly authority into, into people's lives. And in all of these cases, what we see is that the kingdom that Jesus is revealing was not the kind of kingdom that people were expecting. You see, his kingdom wasn't an earthly, physical kingdom that came in physical power to free people from Roman oppression. It was a spiritual kingdom that came with an even greater yet unseen power. And the point was to free people from the real bonds of Satan and sin and death. And people missed it. They didn't get it. And sometimes looking back, we, we think, how, how did they miss that? Like, what, how did they not, how did they, how'd you not see what was going on? And the truth is, is that if you and I were there, we would have had just as much trouble seeing it as anyone else. Jesus himself refers to the nature of his kingdom as mysterious. In verse 11, the NIV translates secrets, the secrets of the kingdom. See, and this is Matthew's one word of this word secret or mystery. It's not like a secret that you're trying to keep from somebody. It's like something that's hidden. It's a, it's a mystery that's been hidden. One commentator writes this way. He says, in the New Testament, the word mystery um, is a, it's a spiritual truth that is understood only by divine revelation. He says, it is a sacred secret hidden in the Old Testament that is being revealed in the person and the work of Jesus. It signifies something that people could never work out for themselves but that God has now begun to reveal to them. That's why it's called a mystery. You see, in this mysterious nature of Jesus' kingdom, right? The, what the redemptive rule and reign of Jesus looks like, the mysterious nature of that leads us to our third question, and that's this. What is the key to understanding the parables of the kingdom? What's the key that helps us to understand the parables of the kingdom? And, and I just want to say this. There are some really practical things that we can do to rightly study and understand the parables like placing ourselves in, in, the, in the shoes of the original audience, trying to ask the question, what would they have heard based on their experiences and their lives? What would they have heard? We can look, look like looking for the main one or two points instead of trying to find the 15 layers of allegorical meaning in every tiny detail, right? Trying to find these deep, deep hidden things. We can look for the main idea. What's, what's the thing? that? What's just what's the big idea that Jesus is really trying to get across? And, and we can ask how the parable is trying to challenge or change our perspective because that really is at the heart of what's going on in these parables. But the truth is, is that the real key to understanding the parables of the kingdom isn't found in any practical tips. It's found in the realization that understanding the parables is a gift of revelation, not a result of intellect. You see, understanding Jesus' teaching, seeing the kingdom for what it is, is a result of God's gracious revelation, not your intellect. Verse 11, Jesus tells the disciples, he says, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom or the knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you. We need to let the weightiness of that sink in. 
You see, there is a givenness to understanding the secrets of the, of, of the kingdom of heaven. Michael Green, in his commentary on Matthew, he writes this, To be a historical contemporary of Jesus did you no good without the eye of faith. Likewise, hearing the parables gave you no insight without the click which enables you to, to cry out, now I see. You see, the ability to understand the spiritual truths at the heart of Jesus' parables has nothing to do with how smart you are. It has nothing to do with how much you know about the Bible. It has nothing to do with how much history you know or how much language you know or, or how smart you are or how wise you are. You see, it has, there are a lot of brilliant people who are absolutely blind to the spiritual truths in God's word, and that is not an indictment of their intellect. It is an indictment of the condition of their heart. You see, no matter how smart you are, the truth is is that you cannot understand God's word without him showing it to you. In just a few chapters, we'll see Jesus. He asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And when Peter responds correctly that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, Jesus doesn't say, gold star for you, nailed it. You totally worked that out on your own. I'm so proud of you. You worked so hard, and now you got it. No, he says in chapter 16, verse 7, he says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. Your brain, it didn't figure it out on your own. It was revealed to you by my Father who is in heaven. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, No man can see that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. J.D. Greer, another pastor, he writes this way. He says, Sin makes our hearts so naturally dull and slanted against God that we cannot see spiritual truth without his help. Our sinful hearts are so jaded against God that we, that we can be blind to the evidence when it is right in front of us. He goes on to say this, It is a miracle of regeneration that anyone can see the truth about Jesus and his kingdom. You see, knowledge, understanding of the mysteries of the secrets of God's kingdom, it is a gracious blessing that none of us deserve. The disciples, they didn't deserve it. They were no better than the prophets or the righteous people that came before them that Jesus says longed to see the nature of the kingdom, longed to see the Messiah come. You see, they were recipients instead of an incredible blessing, one that was unmerited and undeserved and unearned. And all of us, our hearts are hard unless God reaches down and regenerates our hearts, unless he turns our hard hearts into soft ones, unless he gives us eyes that can see, unless he gives us ears that can hear, unless he heals our hearts from the blindness of the sickness of sin. You see, without him really revealing the truth of his word to us, we cannot get it. That's why Jesus tells the disciples in verse 16, blessed are you. Blessed are you because your eyes see and your ears hear. You've been given the secrets of the kingdom. You didn't earn them. You didn't deserve them. You didn't figure it out on your own. They were a gift to you. I just want to invite you to, th- to think this morning. Does the weight of that hit you? Does the weight of Jesus' words hit you this morning? You see, the very nature of the gospel is that we are utterly and entirely dependent on God to be the one who saves us and who changes us and who reveals his truth to us. And I want you to hear this this morning. That is really really good news because if it was up to us we would fail before we even began. You see, we love to think we are wise, but we are fools. Look throughout history. History is a wreckage, right, that looks at all the people who claim themselves as wise and who and who prided themselves on their wisdom and we look back and we think what fools they were. 
You see, the good news is that learning from God does not depend on how big your mental muscles are or how wise your wisdom is, but on how soft God has made your heart to his word and his teaching. You see, the condition of your heart is more important than the intelligence of your head. And the truth is that no matter how smart you are, you can still submit your heart to God and he will show you the truth of his word. That's good news for you. Some of you are like me. You're not the brightest crayons in the box and neither am I. And the truth is, is that God graciously reveals his word to us so that we might see. That's good news for our hearts. So as we study the parables of the kingdom these coming weeks, if you get it, right? if the truth of the parables clicks in your heart, if, if when we study the parable of the four soils and, and what you realize is not just the condition of your heart and which soil it is, but you, you long to be good soil, then, or you rejoice in the realization that you have been made good soil, or, or if when we study the parables of the treasure and the pearl, you don't, just, you don't just intellectually recognize that Jesus is saying that the kingdom and knowing him is of immeasurable value, but you see it as immeasurable value and you long to know it and you would give anything to have it, then what I want you to respond, the way that that is meant for us to cause us to respond is that we might be humbled by the reality that your understanding and those desires, they are not something you did. They are a gracious gift of God. You see, you didn't work it out on your own. You did not earn it. You are not special or better than anyone else. You are a privileged recipient of the greatest gift in all the universe. You have eyes You've been given eyes and ears that can see and hear the truth about Jesus. Don't take that for granted. Don't take that for granted. Let the magnitude of that sink into your heart. Let that fill you with a thankfulness and a joy. But let it also fill you with a great humility. You see, let it shape the way you look at those around you who don't get it. You see, far too often what happens is Christians, we, they look at the world around them and they see people's lives or their words or their worldview that's out of line with Jesus and his word. And they're just like, how do people not get it? It's just right in front of them. Why do people live so foolishly? Why, why do people live so simply? How do, they, how do they not just get it? And they talk down to people, or they view them as stupid or ignorant or just evil. You see, in the invitation of the truth of Jesus' words this morning is that the only reason why you get it and they don't is because God graciously showed you the truth. And so what that does for you is it, like that just frees you that frees you to look on people who don't get it yet, whose thinking and whose lives and whose words do not match up with the Scripture, and it frees you from looking down on those people, and instead it gives you a shepherd's heart for them. Right, as Jesus does when he looks on the Israelites, he says they are like lost sheep without a shepherd. You see, that truth, it should, it should well up in you a, a humble compassion for your friends and your neighbors and your family and your coworkers who don't yet get it who don't yet see Jesus as the king of all, who don't yet see him as the one who is good, the one who has come to save them from their sins. And it, what it does is it, it fills you with a great joy because you, re, you realize you have received this incredible gift and it fills you with an incredible humility because you realize you didn't earn it and you shouldn't have been given it and there's no reason why you have it other than God decided to graciously show you the truth of his word. For those of you who, as we study... So we look at these parables over the coming weeks. You find yourself on the outside looking in, like the crowds who, who walk away from Jesus' teaching and they are frustrated and they are confused and they're like, 
whatever. This guy's crazy. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I want to encourage you this morning. You are here for a reason. In Acts, Paul says that God has ordained the times and places where people live so that they might seek and find him. You see, if you are here this morning and you find yourself on the outside looking in, that is God's gracious pursuit of you, that you are here. And he is longing to reveal the truth of his kingdom to you, that you might be able to see it. He's beginning to open your eyes that you might see his truth. And so I would encourage you, ask him to show you all of it. Ask him. Ask him that he would graciously reveal the truth of his kingdom to you. You see, when the disciples were confused, what they did is they, hum they humbly came to Jesus. And they, they, they lay out for us a model. When we are confused, right, when we don't get it, the invitation is not to run away or to, or to dig deep into our own intellect. The invitation for, is for us to come to Jesus, to humbly say, Jesus, what I need is what you have to offer and I, I'm not going to get it without you. And so, Jesus, I want to come and say, what I need is for you to reveal the truth of your word to me. And so as they did, come, ask him in humble reverence to reveal the truth. And he will. Ask him to empower you to respond to the truth because you can't do that without him either. You see, the good news about the gospel is not what we do to get to God. It's not about our figuring it out. It's not about the strength of our intellect or the wisdom of our minds. It is about all that God has done to get to us. It is about, the, is about, God to, is about him to bring the goodness of his redemptive rule and reign into our lives and into our world and into our eternity. You see, that's what we celebrate every week when we take communion. That when we were blind and dead in sin, God came for us. When we rejected him on our worst day, not on our best day, Jesus said that you are worthy to be loved and you are worthy to be pursued and I choose to do it. You see, when we rejected God, God chose to pursue us and come after us and to love us and to die for us and to reveal the truth of his word to us so that we might know him. And when we take communion, what we're reminding is that the bread and the drink there, they remind us of Jesus' body and his blood which were shed for us so that while we were still sinners that we would be given new hearts and new minds that are soft, that can hear, that can respond. You know, they're able to Respond to God and his word. You see, what we're doing when we're taking communion is we are proclaiming the gospel. We are reminding ourselves about the God who came for us. About all that he did to get to us. In the midst of our blindness, in the midst of our hard hearts and our deaf ears and our closed eyes, the king of the universe came that he might give us new hearts and new eyes that can see him. And the truth is that without him doing that, we will never know him. And so this morning, when you are ready, for those of you who are Christians, who, who your hope and your trust is in the person and the work of Jesus to make you right with God, or, or maybe this morning you have become a Christian, you've been realizing that you have been relying on your own wisdom and your own intellect and your own power, and what you are seeing this morning is that there is no chance you're going to, that, that the good news of the gospel will click without Jesus being the one who is the one who reveals it to you, and you long to submit yourself to him and say, Jesus, whatever you want to say, I will listen and during our time of worship, go back and take communion. There's a table on the left and one on the right. Go back and dip the bread in the cup. You don't need to be a member here. You just need to belong to Jesus. Over and over, Jesus talks about those who are citizens of his kingdom. To be a citizen of the kingdom is, one, is about one who has surrendered to the king.
And as you do, as you go take communion, let the good news of the gospel wash over you this morning as you celebrate Jesus' body and his blood broken for you so that you might know him. And as you do talk with God this morning, ask him to reveal the truth of his word to you more and more. And as he does, worship him with thankful hearts for it and ask him, plead with him that he might do the same for others. Let's pray. King Jesus, we are so grateful for you. And we are thankful that you are a king who has come to pursue us. Thankful that the gospel is not about all that we do to get to you, Jesus, but it's all that you have done to get to us. And when we were blind and dead in sin, Jesus, you came for us. And you are the one who reveals the truth of your word so that we might be able to see it. And so we come this morning and we say, Jesus, we need you. We need you, the king of all, to reveal the truth of your word so that we might see it, that we might live in light of it, that we might live lives that are in line with your kingdom and in response to its joy and hope that it, that it gives us. And God, we want the redemptive rule and reign of your work being brought to bear in, in Christ. We want, that to be, we want that to increasingly characterize our lives and so that every part of who we are and every part of our community would be characterized by your redeeming rule and reign in our lives. And so God, we ask that by your spirit's power, you would cause that to happen in us. God, and for those who are here this morning, and they feel like they are on the outside looking in, whenever they read your word, they feel confused or they just don't get it, God, I pray that they would come humbly to you this morning, asking that you, the king of all, would reveal the good news of your word to them so that they could see and hear. God, for all of us, fill us with the joy as you reveal your word to us. Fill us with a great humility as we realize we didn't earn it or didn't deserve it. God, and send us on mission with you as you long to reveal the truth of your word to others who don't get it yet. God, for our good, for our joy, but more than anything, for your great glory, we pray. Amen.